Right, grab your Bibles and we shall be off. At long last, we're going to all be put out of our misery. What are apostles? Part two. It will be answered. Tonight is the night. What are apostles? Now then, we've got to refresh our minds with what we covered last time, which was quite a long time ago now. All right, now then. Last time, what we saw was quite simply this. In the New Testament, there are different types of apostle. An apostle is not a, just a single, this is an apostle. We saw that there are different types of apostleship in the New Testament. In fact, we saw in detail that there were two types that we concentrated on last time. Last time we defined two types of apostleship. Apostleship number one, you'll remember, was Jesus. And that the apostleship of Jesus was that he was sent from the Father and came with absolute authority. Now, the qualifications that you had to have to have the apostleship that Jesus had, number one, the qualifications were really very simple. You had to be divine, and you had to be human, and you had to be sinless. If anyone would like to apply, see me afterwards. All right. So apostleship number one, Jesus sent from the Father with absolute authority. You had to be divine, you had to be human, and you had to be sinless to qualify for that post. Only Jesus did. And then we saw that there was apostleship number two. And apostleship number two were the twelve apostles, or as we saw, the apostles of the Lamb, as they were called. And we saw how Paul replaced Judas. All right? So Judas dropped out and Paul replaced him. We saw the apostleship, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, number two. Now, these guys, apostleship number two, is they were sent by Jesus. So Jesus, apostleship number one, was sent by God the Father personally. The 12, with Paul replacing Judas, apostleship number two, they were sent directly by Jesus personally. Now the qualifications for apostleship number two we saw, they had to have seen the risen Lord. They had to have seen Jesus physically after he'd been raised from the dead. That was one qualification. The second qualification is that they had to have received all of Jesus's teaching from him personally. And you remember that although we saw that the 12 minus Judas did when Jesus, before Jesus died, they received all Jesus' teaching from him before he died. Paul the Apostle came later, but he spent a spell in heaven. And Paul simply received all of Jesus' teaching from him personally when he was in heaven. So that was the second qualification for apostleship number two, to have received everything that Jesus taught from him in person. And the third qualification for apostleship number two was that you had to have a miraculous ministry that was just like Jesus's, all right, authenticating the claim. Okay, that's why the incredible miracles that were done by the, you know, by the twelve. I mean, the incredible things that they did. It doesn't mean that only the twelve can work those signs and wonders, because God wants to work them today. But an apostle, in sense two, had to command in his life all the gifts of the Spirit, just as Jesus had done. Okay, with one exception, there's no evidence in the Bible that Jesus spoke in tongues. He might have done. He might not have done. We're not told. We don't know if Jesus spoke in tongues, but all the other gifts he used. And it was the same with apostleship number two. They used all the gifts of the Spirit and all the ministries of the Spirit. Now we saw that the uniqueness of the twelve, well, the uniqueness of Jesus is that he won salvation for us. Not only he could do that. Apostleship number one, absolutely unique, Jesus himself dealing with the sin barrier, making a way for sinful people to be able to be in fellowship with God. But the uniqueness of apostleship number two, the twelve, with Paul having replaced Judas, was that their <laughs> teaching was infallible. They were the only men on the face of the earth, the twelve of them, 
who had received everything that Jesus taught from him personally. And their teaching by an especial anointing of the Holy Spirit was infallible. In fact, they were the walking New Testament. Do you remember we saw, we got the New Testament, we take it for granted. We're laughing, aren't they? Aren't we? But the early church weren't, they didn't have it. Well, it's because it was walking around in the heads of the twelve apostles. They were the walking New Testament. They were the final authority in the New Testament church. And we saw that the New Testament was written as a result of them. They either wrote it themselves or everyone who wrote a gospel or a letter, if they weren't apostles in sense to themselves, then they did it under the direction of them. So they were the walking New Testament and their teaching was infallible. All right. But of course, apostleship number two is no longer needed. It's defunct. No longer needed because we've got the New Testament. We don't need to have people walking around with the New Testament in their heads because we've got the New Testament itself. So apostleship number two was not, is no longer needed today. It's gone. It's dead and it's gone. It was a one-off. Just like apostleship number one was, Jesus. His apostleship was a one-off. Well, the apostleship of the Twelve was a one-off as well. But one of the things that we did see is that even with the Twelve, apostleship number two, they didn't have anything like the authority that some people who think they're apostles today exercise today. And in fact, what we saw is even with the Twelve, we saw the truth of the matter was is that they were simply co-equal elders who just happened to be apostles in the bargain. So the point was, although they were infallible on teaching, that was all. They did not have some special top authority whereby what an apostle said goes. If it was a statement on teaching, yes, it went. But on everything else, they were simply co-equal elders. Right, so we saw apostleship one and apostleship two. Now, what we've got to move on to today is because they're gone. All right, they're no more. But in the Bible, there's an apostleship number three. And we know this because the New Testament refers to other Christians, calls them apostles, and yet they weren't of the twelve. So there were apostles in the early church other than simply the twelve. Let's actually have a look at that. Go first of all to Acts 14. Actually see this in the scriptures. Acts chapter 14... And first of all, verse 4. Right, it says, But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and the others with the apostles. We'll now go down into verse 14. Who are these apostles? Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard of it, they tore, and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. Now you see, here... Paul is called an apostle, but we knew that anyway. He was an apostle, number two. But here, Barnabas is called an apostle. Well, he wasn't one of the twelve. So here, we've got an apostle who wasn't in either category that we've looked at thus far. Go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19. And this is Paul talking about when he went to Jerusalem. He said, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, while Jesus was going around preaching on earth, his family didn't believe in him. He had brothers and sisters. But after he rose again from the dead, we know that James became a Christian. So James here, the Lord's brother, he was the earthly brother of Jesus. And he got converted, all right, a bit later on. Now here, he is called an apostle. But he wasn't one of the twelve. Can you see there's an apostleship number three? And it's this apostleship that is still around today. And that's what we've got to, why we've got to understand it. Go to Romans 17. Sorry, don't go to Romans 17. There isn't one. Go to Romans 16. <laughs> Romans 16 and verse 7. And Paul says, Greet Andronicus... And Junius, my kinsman and my fellow prisoners, they are men of note among the apostles. Now here we have Andronicus and Junius who are apostles. Well, they were not 
among the twelve. All right. One more, one Thessalonians. One Thessalonians, chapter two. And verse 6, and Paul says, you became imitators, no, no, that's uh, chapter 1, verse 6, oh yes, chapter 2, verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands. What on earth have I got that down for? 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 6. Verse 7. Verse 7. No. Goodness, no, forget that. Demands as apostles of Christ. Oh, yeah, that's right. And if you go back earlier on into the letter, yes, that's it. He's talking about, Paul is talking about himself, but he is also talking about Silvanus and Timothy. Now, Paul was an apostle number Silvanus and Timothy. They were as well, but they weren't of the twelve. So what we can see here is that there was an apostleship that wasn't number two. Apostles around who weren't of the same kind as the original 12, all right. Now, remember, let's go back to what we did last time. The key to this, to understanding this, lies in the fact that the word apostle in Greek, which is apostolos, remember we saw that it simply means one who is sent forth. That's all the word means. Apostolos, apostle, is one who is sent first, sent forth. Now, let's see this Greek word, apostolos, in two verses where it isn't translated apostle. So I want to show you it has other meanings than the word apostle. All right. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 23. Right, he says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker in your service, and as for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches. Now that word messengers is apostolos. It simply means a messenger. So therefore, if someone in the Greek that they spoke here was saying, oh, he's a messenger, the Greek word would be apostolos, an apostle. Okay, uh, go over into Philippians. Philippians 2, verse 25. And this is talking about Epaphroditus. He says, I thought it necessary to send you to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Philippians, Paul is here in jail. All right? And what's happened is that people have gathered together and they've sent him money. So some of the churches have got together and they said, we're going to send Paul a love gift, okay? And it was Epaphroditus who brought the love gift. He was the messenger who brought the love gift from the churches to Paul. And that word messenger is apostle. So it's a wide meaning word, all right? It simply means messenger. Now, also, I've been using the word apostleship. Let's actually have a look at that. Go to Acts one twenty-five. Acts 1.25. Now, apostleship, that word, it's a different, you know, word in, in, in a different tense in the Greek, apostole, all right? And in Acts 1.25, let's see it. To take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside. So there you've got word apostleship, and it is apostole. But this word apostole is also used in Galatians. Go to Galatians 2 verse 8. Galatians 2, verse 8, and Paul says, For he who worked through Peter for the mission to the circumcised. And that word there, mission, is apostolate. So can you see that the word apostle in Greek, it means like messenger, and it means someone who goes on a mission, as simple and wide-ranging as that. So that what we've got, in the widest sense of the meaning of this Greek word, apostle, is simply a messenger or a someone who is sent out on a mission. 
Now the point is that when the early church got together, or you know, when the Lord was leading you know, the early church to understand the teachings of Jesus and stuff like that, they chose this word, apostolos, to describe the mission of Jesus and the mission of the Twelve, all right? So when they kind of thought in terms of what Jesus had done and the part that the Twelve had to play, the word that they chose to tag onto it was simply apostolos, apostle. But you see, the thing is, that Greek word was already in use, meaning something far more general as well. So the point is, they used a very general word and they used it in a very specific way. But of course, that doesn't mean that they didn't also use the same word in its original, more wide-ranging sense. Can you see? So they took the word apostle and they said, right, Jesus and the twelve are apostles in a very specific way. But the fact that they took that word apostle and tagged it in a specific way on Jesus and the Twelve doesn't mean that they didn't use the word in its original wider meaning as well. Do you remember when we were looking at the teaching in the Bible about deacons? The early church had deacons. And the Greek word for deacon is diakonos. And the Greek word diakonos means a servant. So the point is that what happened was the early church, they took the word servant and they said, right, these men who are going to serve the church in practical affairs, doing practical work, we're going to call them deacons, we're going to call them servants. So they took an already existing word and they put a very specific meaning on it. So therefore, in 1 Timothy 3 verse 8, the Greek word diakonos is used to mean deacon, a deacon in the church. But, in John 2, verse 5 and 9, it's simply a household servant. So can you see, the early church took already existing words, used them in some instances in very specific ways, but it doesn't mean that they never used those same words in the general wider meaning as well. And when we were doing about deacons, all right, because I was showing you that deacons are male in the church, and yet you've got the passage in Romans 16, and we looked at it, when you've got the whole thing about Phoebe, a deaconess of the church. And people say, well, look, the early church had a deaconess. And of course they didn't. It simply means that there, the word translated deaconess, is simply the female form of diakonos, a servant. And all Paul was saying, greet Phoebe, who's such a good servant of the church there. And of course we are all meant to be servants of the church. And that explains why that wrong translation got through and people think that Phoebe was a deaconess. She wasn't. It's not referring to her as a deaconess, but just a general servant of the church because they took the general word servant and gave it a new specific meaning for a specific function in the church. We saw this principle also with elders. When the early church thought, right, what are we going to call our leaders? Right, elders. God led them to call them elders, you see. Well, the Greek word for elder we saw was presbutros. And we saw it means simply an aged man. That's what the word presbyteros means, an aged man. Because the idea of an elder is maturity and experience, that he's further on in God than the people he's leading. Therefore, the idea of an elder is perfect. So they took the word aged man, all right, and they said, right, this is what we're going to use for the leaders in the early church. But of course, it doesn't mean that they never use that word presbyteros simply for older men. And that's why sometimes in the Bible you get that word and it's translated elder, and on other occasions it simply refers to old men. Because they took already existing words, used them in specific ways, but it doesn't mean that they didn't continue to use those same words in their wider general meaning. Now the point is this, that is exactly what the early church did with this word apostolos or apostle. Now then, what we've seen so far is that an apostle, in the meaning of the Greek word, is simply someone with a mission. That's all the Greek word means. If anyone's got a mission, whatever it is, then they're an apostle. Someone is being sent by someone to do something, having had authority vested in them to do it. Now that is what the Greek word apostle means. 
and whether it's referring to uh, an income tax inspector or whether it's referring to a general in the army, it's exactly the same idea. All right. Remember, apostolos, the Greek word, what does it mean? One who is sent forth. That's all. And it comes from the verb apostello, which means simply to send forth. This is all the word means, as simple as that. Now, in the Bible, it is used also. We've seen the word used of Jesus as an apostle in a specific sense. We've seen it used of the twelve as apostles in a specific sense. But the same word is also used of the Holy Spirit, of John the Baptist, and the same word is used of angels and demons in their capacity as messengers. Angels are messengers for God, demons are messengers for Satan. Do you remember when Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me, all right, talking about a demon, that word messenger, an apostle. That demon that was Paul's thorn in the flesh, following him around everywhere, giving him a hard time, that was an apostle of Satan. Can you see, that's all the word means. But in the Bible also, the word is used of servants. Go to Matthew 21. It's only by thoroughly understanding the meaning of this Greek word that we'll understand what sort of apostles are around today or what they actually do. Matthew 21, verse 34. <clears throat> right, he says, When the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. Sent his servants. All right, speaking about servants, sent is apostle. That's the Greek word, apostolos. It's used of soldiers. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 27. And immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard. Here is a soldier being sent. The king sent a soldier. That word sent, apostolos. Here a soldier is being an apostle of the king because the king is sending him to do something. The king has got authority to do it. The master has authority to send the servant. They're apostles in every instance. And also, go to Romans 10, this is important. Romans 10, I want to show you that evangelists in the Bible are also called apostles. Same word, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 15. And Paul says, he's speaking about how are men to call on him in whom they've not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard, and how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And that preach there is evangelizo. It's the word we get evangelist, evangelism from. So here he's talking about evangelists being sent out to people so they can hear the gospel. And what does he say? How can men preach unless they are sent? That word sent, apostles. So here we have the word apostle in the original Greek also used in regards to evangelists going out and preaching the gospel. So then, in its Greek meaning, this word apostle simply means someone who is sent on an official mission of some kind, be it domestic, be it civil, be it military, or be it spiritual. It is a very, very wide-ranging term indeed. Now, do you remember last time I said that we'd have to spend a little bit of time understanding, and this is important, what Star Trek has to do with all of this? And what Star Trek has to do with all this is simply this. You see, Captain James T. Kirk, Spock, Bones, Scotty, all of them, see, the point is they are apostles. Now then, listen, listen. Space. The final... Can I... Dun, da, 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 da. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Star Trek Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. And there you have what an apostle is. It's someone who goes out on a mission where no one has been 
before. Now that is exactly the idea of biblical apostleship, whether it's number one Jesus, number two the twelve, or number three the apostles that we still have around today. An apostle is simply anyone who pioneers a new work for God. That is the ministry of an apostle. It's not the specific work that they break new ground in, but anyone who breaks new ground for God is an apostle. So therefore, can you see why Jesus was called an apostle? Jesus, as apostleship number one, broke new ground. But he broke new ground that will never, ever, ever need breaking again. He pioneered salvation. That was breaking new ground. But of course, it's done. It's finished. Jesus broke new ground that will never need breaking again. Therefore, apostleship number one is unique and it cannot ever be repeated. Let's see that. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Right, now Hebrews 12, all right? Hebrews 12 is sometimes known as the, the gallery of faith, all right? You know, all the people who lived long and prospered in the Old Testament. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 12. Now, listen to this. Hebrews, sorry, Hebrews 2, 12, verse 2. Let's get it right. It's that looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You see, pioneer. Jesus is the pioneer. He's the one who started our faith off because he provided salvation. And through his work in us now, sanctification, he's going to see it through to the end. But can you see the point? Jesus was the pioneer of salvation. He boldly went where no man had gone before. And he was the only one who could do it. So there you have the apostleship of Jesus. Go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, and this is Jesus revealing himself to John on Patmos, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He says, I am the Alpha, I'm the first, I'm the one who always goes before you. That is what apostleship is. Go to 22, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. And there you have it again, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Apostles always go first, because they're going somewhere and doing something that hasn't been done before, and they're doing it in regards to the work of the Lord. Go back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. We read this. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. The idea that Jesus went ahead, he did it first, he broke new ground, so that once that ground was broken, others could follow. So there, can you see it? To boldly go where no man has gone before. That is what an apostle is. Jesus was therefore an apostle, having broken new ground, salvation, but it's unique and unrepeatable, so it can never be done again. It's been done once, that's all that's needed. Now the twelve, in their, what they did is they also broke new ground that will never ever need breaking again. What new ground? Well, they gave us the New Testament. And it's done. It's finished. Their apostleship, number two, was also unique and unrepeatable. They broke new ground, which has been done once and for all. That ground never needs breaking again. So biblical apostleship is simply this whole idea of breaking new ground for God. It's just that Jesus and the twelve were unique because they broke new ground that never, ever, ever needs breaking again. It was once and for all. Jesus gave us salvation. That was the new ground he, gave, he broke 
over and done with, can't be done again. And the twelve gave us the New Testament and established initially the church. And that also can never be done again. All right. So then, an apostle is anyone who breaks new ground spiritually, having been sent to do so. Now, do you remember we saw that Jesus, as an apostle, because remember, an apostle means to be sent out on a mission, to break new ground. Jesus was sent by the Father. Pretty unique. The twelve were sent by Jesus personally. Well, that can't be done now, because Jesus doesn't live down here. He lives in heaven. The twelve were sent by Jesus. But apostles, in sense three, the type that are around today, in the Bible, the apostles, in sense three, were sent out by the twelve. Jesus was sent out by the Father, the twelve were sent out by Jesus, but the apostles, in type three, were sent out by the twelve, the twelve simply representing the church under the authority of the Word of God. So, apostles today are sent out, not by God, no way. Neither are they sent out by Jesus, uh-uh. Apostles today are sent out by their own churches, having been authorised by their churches for whatever their mission happens to be. So can you see the idea of these roaming individualists who turn up, hi, I'm an apostle. <laughs> they kind of turn up from nowhere with big revelations for your church. We've had a bit of this, haven't we? You know, wow. That, by definition, is wrong. If you ever meet an apostle roaming around directly under the authority of God, he is not an apostle. Because apostles are sent out by the church, not directly by God. If you're sent by God, you're accountable to whoever you're sent to. Sent by. So if God sends you, you're accountable to him, no one else. And if Jesus sends you, you're accountable to Jesus, no one else. But if the church sends you, you're accountable to your church. Now believe you me, every believer, not just apostles, every believer is accountable to the Father, but through Jesus and through the church. Otherwise anyone could go around saying, oh, God has told me to do this, and anyone can say God has told them anything. Apostles are sent out by churches and therefore are all the time accountable. <laughs> and that must remain the same with absolutely everybody. All right. So then, what we've got to ask is this. Apostles break new ground for God. Now, we've seen what Jesus did, the new ground he broke. We've seen what the apostles in the sense of the twelve did. But now we've got to say, right, there are apostles in this third sense. So we've got to say, what do they do? And you see, here's the question. If salvation was accomplished by Jesus once and for all, and if the New Testament has been completed and the church initially established, which it already has been, what on earth new ground is left to break by apostles in this third category? Do you see the question? If they break new ground, assuming we've got salvation and now we've got the Bible and we've got the church as the apostles established it and wrote it down so we knew how to do it, what new ground is there left to break then? Well, because obviously there's no new revelation to be had. I mean, if someone came along and said, well, I'm an apostle because I've got new revelation from God, you won't find it in the Bible because this is new, boys. Now, obviously, anyone who comes along with that, he's out of court, he's wrong. So there's no new revelation to be had. We've got it all. It's in the Bible for everyone to see. So therefore, what ground is left to break by these apostles in sense three? Well, let me give you three examples. Number one, spreading salvation where it hasn't been before to people. Taking the gospel where it hasn't been before. That is apostolic in the full biblical sense of the word. Number two, leading the church into any truth and experience of God laid down in the Bible that it's missed out on. There's no new revelation to be had, but boy, churches today, they've missed out on a lot of the old revelation. So it's apostolic when you lead a church into revelation that's in the Bible, but they've missed out on it 
lead them into it, it's new to them. You're breaking new ground in the church. But not in the sense that you're bringing something new, you're simply retrieving something that's very old, but it's new to them because they haven't had it before. So bringing churches into truth and doctrine and experience of God that they've not known before, that is truly apostolic. Apostles do that. Number three, when you establish a church where there wasn't one, that is apostolic. You're breaking new ground. You got somewhere where there wasn't a church, you plant a church, then it's apostles who planted the church. And it's not even necessarily that they were there planting the church because they were apostles. It could also mean that there they were, minding their own business. God says, oh, you lot plant a church. And they simply become apostles by virtue of the fact they've done it. Can you see? So there are examples of apostolic ministry. In fact, bringing any aspect of God's work into situations where that aspect of God's work has been heretofore missing is apostolic. You see? When you bring God's truth into a situation where it hasn't been before, that's apostolic. As simple as that. You're breaking new ground for God. And so can you see, therefore, in its widest sense, every Christian has an apostolic role to play, if only witnessing to the gospel at work or to your next-door neighbours. Because the chances are they've never heard it before. They're only going to hear it if you tell them. So you tell them, you take the gospel where it hasn't been before, in the office or your next-door neighbour's house or whatever. That is genuine apostolic ministry. So in the widest sense of the word, okay. So, therefore, evangelizing those who have never heard before, that's apostolic. Whether it's you chatting to someone at work or whether it's a missionary going out to darkest Africa, apostolic ministry. Planting churches and leading them until they've got their own indigenous elders raised up, that is apostolic. When someone, you know, kind of leads a church until it can lead itself, then the person who has led it until it can lead itself is an apostle to that church. Okay, And leading a church into truth that it hasn't had before also is apostolic. But you see, this is something here now we've got to understand. That anyone who does land up in a church other than the church that they're part of, working, if you like, apostolically, is, is doing so in accountability to that actual church. This is the important thing to realise. He is not coming in in authority over the church. He's going to be there at the request of that church and he will submit to that church consensus in the same way that he would at his church back home. Now, think of it like this. In a church to whom are non-elders accountable? And the answer is, to that church. Now then, to whom in a church are the elders accountable? The answer's the same, they're accountable to the church. Now, we're seeing that even, even you know, the original 12 apostles, the authority they had was simply that of being elders. So therefore, if, if you are working apostolically, if a man is working apostolically in a church other than his own, he is working in accountability to that church. Now obviously if he's brought in, he can teach them, he can show them how to live, what the Lord wants, but at the end of the day, he is subject to the um, consensus of that church. Indeed, reaching decisions in that way, seeing that the church is self-governing, is one of the things that he is trying to bring that particular church into. And so any idea of, 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 of apostles being able to override decisions made by churches is ridiculous. Again, we've got to come back to the understanding that in the New Testament, each church was self-governing. It was the church corporately who made their decisions. So therefore, we've got to understand that, that any apostles around today, they're not at the, the top of some tree when it comes um, to um, authority. 
if they're working with particular churches, they're working in accountability to those churches. And uh, it's, it's, it's as simple as that, and we need to, to understand that. Now, for instance, here, I said that, you know, if you sort of like break new ground and plant a church, that, that gives you an apostolic role in regards to that church. Now, in, in, in the same way that, that, that Peter played a role in, in planting the Jerusalem church and stayed an elder, I mean, it's like for Robert and I. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're elders here at the church, we're recognised as elders, but by virtue of the fact that we established the church and, um, and planted it, makes us, you know, if, if you like, gives us an apostolic role in this church but of course does that mean that we're anything more than elders does that give us more authority than we have as elders well we've already seen the only authority elders have is that of moral authority the actual decision-making authority lies with the church itself and, and, and in, in some ways, over the years, when I've you know, been involved with other churches you can say that I've gone in there apostolically but when I'm with those churches, I'm only there helping out in accountability to them. I'm there because they've asked me in, and uh, I'm not in charge, I'm not over anyone, I'm simply there to help out. And remember that one of the things that you're always trying to do when you're working with churches other than your own is that you're trying to uh, bring them to the point where they need uh, dependence on leadership less and less and less. In the same way that, say here, okay, where we're elders, as we grow as a church, as as, as individuals get more and more mature in the Lord, then in actual fact, eldership lead will be needed less and less and less, and more and more and more, everything will be done corporately. So again, we're back to the thing about leadership. In one sense, biblical leadership is always actually trying to um, do itself um, out, out of a job. I mean, again, think about it that, that, that in the future, please God, when we start to, to be planting out other churches in this area, it won't be the case that, that they are, are going to be under us in some way, that we're the mother church, we're the big cheese church. I mean, when we plant new churches, yeah, we may need to share our leadership. We may need to spend a lot of time with them, teaching them and training them. But one of the things that we're going to be teaching them and training them into is to come to the point where that each church has its own uh, sort of like locally grown leadership and then needs outside help less and less and less. So again, it's understanding, it's coming back to this thing that there is no hierarchy in the church, or rather there is, it's Jesus and everybody else. And whether apostles, prophets, elders or non-elders, deacons or whatever, all of that is the everybody else. The only hierarchy in the church is actually Jesus himself. And again, anytime someone comes to us from the outside, obviously it's clearly on the understanding. We're not saying, hey, come in from the outside, be in charge of us. We're saying, hey, come, bring to us what you think the Lord has given you. Teach us, show us what it is we need um, to know. But the point is, in the same way with any of us here, any time we're teaching or, or bringing the supposed word of the Lord, it's tested by the body. And that's going to be exactly the same even if people come from the outside. We don't just lie down in front of people and say, oh, apostolic ministry, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. That is absolutely ridiculous. And when you get these people with, with this idea that somehow they have this special authority because they're apostles, well, as we're seeing so very, very clearly, that does not in any way come from the teaching of Scripture. Right, okay, let's, let's start to sum up then. Apostles, in sense three, because they're still around today, apostles break new ground. Jesus, apostleship number one, did it in a unique and unrepeatable way, salvation. The twelve, apostleship number two, also did it in a unique, unrepeatable way, giving us the New Testament and initially establishing the church. All right. So general apostolic ministry, breaking new ground for God, boldly going where no man has gone before, that general apostolic ministry is still going strong but not types one and two. 
But apostleship number three is alive and kicking in the body of Christ. And praise God that it is. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And verse 28. Paul says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles. He does, you know, prophets, pastors, etc. Apostles. Now, when Paul was writing at this time, he was talking about category two and category three, because category two was still around. He was one of them, for instance. But this still applies today, but not category two. Category two has gone. But apostles in category three are still around today. Okay. But they are in the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, the whole context is teaching about the church. Apostles are in the church and they are accountable to the church. Remember, not big chiefs at the top of some pyramid. They are in the church and they are accountable to the church. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, he says, And his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. Exactly the same. There Paul was meaning apostleship 2 and 3, because he was number 2, and the other apostles were still around. It doesn't mean number 2 anymore, but apostleship number 3 is still around today. Okay, It's very, very wide in its application. If you want to know, if you ask the question, what is an apostle? The answer, biblically, is simply someone who breaks new ground for God. And when you kind of hear these guys preach, and you read these books and these articles about apostleship, and they say that, that, that kind of, at the top of the tree is the apostle. The apostle is, he is the man who is overseeing the whole work of God. Rubbish. That's not what the Bible says at all. An apostle is simply someone who breaks new ground, regardless of what ground he is actually breaking. Let me say something else as well. Nowadays, you tend to get kind of titles thrown around that people who've got ministries, it, it kind of, like you get apostle so-and-so, and you can actually see adverts for meetings, and you've got apostle so-and-so will be there or prophet so-and-so will be there, or evangelist so-and-so will be there. Now, what's interesting is that the Bible does not use terminology like that in any way at all. We talk about the Apostle Paul. It's a big mistake. Because you see today, people say, well, Apostle so-and-so. Paul never called himself or referred to people as an Apostle so-and-so. He simply said, from Paul, an Apostle. And he spoke about Peter, an apostle. They never ever used terminology whereby they could almost give you their personal card, Apostle Paul. Is he? I mean, wouldn't it be pathetic if I went around saying, hi, I'm Bible teacher of Beresford? Is he? I'm just Beresford. That's all I am. Same as anyone else. I just happen to be a Bible teacher. Now, these guys who walk around with apostle on their, you know, badge, you know, these conferences, and the councillors have got that got badge that says councillor or ministry team. Oh, i.e., I'm special, you pleb. Now, you don't get any of that in the Bible at all. Paul simply said, I'm an apostle. Not high apostle Paul, big and important. Can you see? Because apostleship, like any other gift or ministry, is not a position. It is a function. When Paul said that he was an apostle, he wasn't saying that that was his position in the body of Christ. He said, this is my job description. Can you see the difference between a position and a job description? It's tremendously important. All ministries are functional. They're not positional. Everyone in the body of Christ is equal. Now then, another question we got to ask. Can women be apostles? Now then, there's a juicy one. Can women be apostles? Well, the answer to that is this. Assuming it's an apostleship that doesn't include having authority over men, of course they can. An apostle is simply someone who breaks new ground. So therefore, 
some ladies are used as apostles to ladies. At the women's conferences or things like that, you know, I mean, that's no big deal. Or, or kind of, let's say, all right, that there's a woman and she's kind of, you know, she's zipping down her street and one by one, all the housewives down her road are getting converted and she's got them in her kitchen over coffee and she's giving them the gospel and they're getting saved. Well, she would be an apostle, an evangelistic apostle, to her street. So yes, of course you can have a woman who's an apostle. Because remember, an apostle isn't a position, it's simply a, a job description of a function. So therefore, can you see today, the idea that we got in the churches of national apostles, how silly it is. These guys at the top of the tree, You've got a pyramid, apostles at the top, and then under the apostles they've got their prophet, and we'll be looking at that next week to see what the time there, who's a prophet, what's a prophet, all right? And these apostles and prophets, they plant churches, but the elders come under their authority. So you've got the, eld the apostle at the top, his right-hand man prophet underneath him, and then you've got all the elders under their authority. Can you see how stupid this actual arrangement is? And you see, God wants the day of big leaders over. God wants local leadership, not national leadership. You know, we've got too many big men. We want loads and loads of little men. Thousands and thousands of little men anointed in their local area. What we don't need are any more big boys. We've already got too many. Okay. So then, therefore, we don't want national or international apostles, prophets, or anything else. But what we do want are thousands and thousands of local little apostles. Little people like me and Robert multiplied a thousand times. Can you see? Working. Oh, can you imagine a thousand? Robert and Beresford. No. Can you, yeah, can you see the point, though? We don't want all this super-duper national stuff. We want thousands and thousands of anointed local situations so that leaders aren't big men. They're just working in their own locality, getting on with the work that God has called them to. So, what are apostles? There you have the answer to that question. Next time, we move on to prophets. And may I say, in regards to prophets, that they have absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with Captain James T. Kirk. <laughs>